Quiet on set. Picture is up. All right, roll sound. Rolling. Roll cameras. Cams rolling. And three, two. Hello, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to the tank. Today we've got, uh, we're going to chat with a congressional district eight Texas uh, candidate, Mr. Jonathan Houlihan. Welcome, Jonathan. Uh, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming out. Yeah, that's no, wonderful. So uh, you're a homegrown Montgomery County son of the uh, county here. Yes, sir. Born and raised, or at least raised. Well, I was raised. So my, my dad worked for the railroad in Houston. And uh, when my mom was pregnant, they moved to Louisiana, Lake Charles. He got transferred. I was born in Lake Charles, Louisiana, which some would argue. Uh, before the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, that was part of Texas. So uh, they moved back to Texas right after when I was a baby. And so I was raised here in Texas for most All right. of my life. You didn't have to do any of the driving on the way back or anything? No, right? I didn't. You know, they probably back then in the 80s, I don't even know what kind of car seat it was. They had me strapped in, I'm sure. Well, that's great. <laughs> I read in your bio that you're a graduate of New Caney High School. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, uh, New Caney High School, really, really enjoyed it. There's been a lot of change here obviously in the last 20 years, but uh, it was a great upbringing, really surrounded by wonderful people, really learned my sense of community, hard work, value of a dollar, mm -hmm. you know, everything that made me, my core being, uh, was here in Montgomery County. Right. When did you graduate? 99. 99. Wow. Sir. So it was still pretty much rural back then. It was. It's, uh, yeah. you know, all up and down 59. I remember, you know, when they built the Jack in the Box uh, up there, uh, 1485, and that was, you know, the Pretty much the place to go during lunch when you'd sneak off and principal day would catch finally you got a jack-in-the-box yeah the principal day would catch you coming back and say you boys aren't supposed to leave campus during lunch and we'd say sorry principal day uh and, and then we would uh and then we'd go to marianne Di marianne's diner there off community drive and uh you know it, it, we've seen a lot of change i kind of miss the old days out here when it was a lot less quiet it was a lot more quiet yeah a lot less yeah, there's busy. a lot of traffic out here now and it's crazy yeah, it's a lot of change, but you know the core elements of uh, are, are still here, and you know hopefully we'll in Montgomery County, New Caney, we retain some of that as a change and uh, growth comes right. from the Houston area. Well, I know that you're an attorney and uh, you're corporate law, right? Yeah, so I work at a business litigation firm. <clears throat> okay, uh, I do regulatory compliance, cybersecurity. Um, I have a lot of experience in that when I was in the Navy. So that's pretty much my portfolio. Anything that comes right now, I'm working on a lot of these COVID vaccine mandate cases. Oh, I bet. So I've gotten, uh, you know, folks that I meet out in the community know I'm for liberty. I'm for individual liberty. I'm for, you know, your body is your sovereign, you know, how the founders envisioned it. So a lot of folks have contacted the law firm and they want help with their vaccine mandate exemptions. Right. I bet you're busy with that. I am. So I get a lot of them. I wish I could take every case I get. Uh, it's just overwhelming right now. I, yeah. I've referred some folks out to some other law firms I know are working on it. And uh, I want to help every person. <clears throat> have any of those been litigated all the way through yet? No, right now we're just, uh, my, from my perspective, I'm trying to help them get through the exemption process. Each company has a different process, a different policy. Mm -hmm. You know, there's almost like a religious litmus test. Right. The only uniform <laughs> thing is the mandate being handed down. Yeah, but right? that's not even uniform. I mean, like it changes. It's not even lawful. I mean, we can get into that. It's not constitutional on its face. Right. There's no statutory basis for these vaccine mandates, period. I mean, whether it comes from OSHA, 
uh, there's some emergency uses that that is established in the um, in the Commerce Clause. Mm-hmm. So the Congress of the United States established the OSHA Act back in I think 1982. But even then, it's outside the scope of that. The Biden administration is trying to use the regulatory state to push that down in companies. In my opinion, completely unconstitutional. I think the Fifth Circuit just granted a stay to that very authority. But can a private business do what they want? I mean, can't they make that decision on their own? Uh, a private business can can mandate certain, certain things for their employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, as far as a vaccine, I don't think there, there's been not that I know, historical examples of vaccines being mandated on private uh, individuals. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. it's a weird world we live in. There's a lot of new ground being covered right here. I think, think, look, I'm not anti-vax per se. I'm anti, I'm Mm pro-liberty. So the federal government reaching down into the states and telling individual companies that you're going to be fined $80,000 $80,000 per individual or whatever it is. Basically, you're going to be out of business unless you follow our directive. Yeah. I have a real problem with that. I have a real problem with that. Yeah. And it's not just the vaccine. Do you think the federal <clears throat> government's going to stop there? This is a this is incremental tyranny. We've seen over the last five or six years, they're just slowly and slowly taking away our sovereignty from our state and now our, us as individuals. This is not what the founders envisioned. What is happening is is straight up tyranny. And well, I'm it's a in- gate. That's what it is. And once that gate gets open, I mean, I don't know if you've ever studied anything, any logics or anything like that, being in the cybersecurity end. Mm-hmm. But electronically, once you open a gate, a lot of times the pathway through that gate is more than one destination. So yeah, it's like you were saying. Yeah, they're, they're going to start with this, but where will they end up? Yeah, and it's social conditioning, yeah. like with the mask and the, and the vaccine. Conditioning, it's, right? Yeah, it's conditioning. I really. <clears throat> I feel like uh, it was a calling to run for Congress. I feel like I'm, I was placed here at this time, at this moment, to fight back on this. I really do. And it's just amazing to see what's happening out there with people losing their jobs, their livelihoods. You know, we started right. with 14 days to flatten the curve to yeah. take the jab or lose everything you've ever worked for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And in the middle of there, it was uh, get the shot and go back to normal. Well, not the get the next shot and then we'll go back well don't forget that booster and then we'll go back to normal but still wear your mask and i mean it just continues we're going to be in a a perpetual state of you're unvaccinated until you get your next booster for your own good yeah and and my concern is look i'm not a doctor uh, i'm a lawyer but having this situation where you have to have these vaccine cards and you have to have passports it just feels very tyrannical yeah um and people have yeah. a right to, to well, their... it's reminiscent of Nazi Germany in the 40s. I, I mean, yeah, where are your papers? Right, yeah. yeah. Or <clears throat> or uh, uh, the Soviet Union in the 50s or China in the 2000s. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> yeah, the CCP. That's good. No, the like CCP. It. Right. But get, getting back to just the basic, you know, not going to go too crazy with the constitutional analysis, but mm-hmm. when we, when our republic was, the constitutional republic was established... Uh, the states hold the police power. And what that means is the federal government, they're enumerated certain powers, and they're not enumerated police powers. Medical requirements, uh, public safety and health, that's a police power. Mm-hmm. That has traditionally been been held by the states. Now you have the federal government coming in and saying, no, we hold the police power. We hold the medical police power. Right. There's a Supreme Court case in 1905 uh, called Jacobson v. Massachusetts. And in that case... The Supreme Court said, yes, the state has the police power to mandate 
some vaccines, but it was a five dollar fine if they didn't take the, and it was for smallpox. Mm-hmm. The the courts and the and the liberals and the and the the tyrannical government is using that case as a basis. What they don't realize is that was a state case. The Supreme Court said that's a state mandate, not mm-hmm. a federal government mandate. So right. they've got that backwards, in my opinion. And nobody in the media is talking about that. I think they should be. Mm. You know, at first, my thoughts were that we were just learning to deal with a pandemic and that the government was going to make mistakes and the states would make mistakes and and we would eventually get it figured out. But I really don't think that's happened. I think you're right. I mean, they've kind of taken the ball and run with it. And decided, hey, this is something we can use. You yeah, know? they're not. So stop. not only is not only are we trying to figure it out, but look what else we can do. Yeah, you know, and that, that's too bad. What, uh, once you know, the government shouldn't have gone that way. Once the government takes power, they don't give it back. <clears throat> they just don't. It we, never yeah. works back the other way. It's like a ratchet. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. have to we have to take a stand for liberty. I mean, at the end of the day, we have to stand for liberty. And right. if we don't, we're going to look back in five or ten years and wish we had. Yeah, for sure. Well, I was going to ask you why you decided to run for Congress, but you already answered that question. So yeah, I mean, uh, that's one of I mean, the, one of the reasons I, I started really in 2016. I um, when President Trump was elected, mm-hmm. and we held the House and the Senate and the presidency, watching the Russian collusion and watching that investigation, uh, watching the, the Republicans in the House just completely fall to pieces and not stand up for President Trump. It really bothered me. Um, I have another, and in watching that unfold over the two years, and President Trump still getting things done without a lot of help from Congress. I mean, what happened to Obamacare? All those members of Congress ran for re-election in 2016. On yeah, on the on the pedestal of repeal and replace, or at least repeal, and then they they shrunk when the time came. They didn't even have a plan, so they they show up right. in the Congress after the 2016 <clears throat> election, and they had no plan to actually repeal or replace it was just they were they were running on that for congress and that bothered me as well i have a a friend that's in congress a really good friend of mine and uh he for years has been asking me hey you got to get up here we need you we need a guy like you that can lead can really rally the troops and get get folks together for good legislation to fight for liberty and after seeing what i saw eventually just said all right i'm coming and i resigned my active duty commission I moved back home to Montgomery County. Uh, I wasn't, I didn't know it was going to happen so quickly. I didn't know Mm -hmm. Kevin Brady was going to retire. I was just going to kind of get my kids in school and reestablish myself at the law firm. And and then it opened up and I decided, well, it's now or never, especially with all the tyranny I was seeing Mm -hmm. um, and all the the oppression from the federal government down on the state level. I said, it's now or never. So that's why I decided to throw it in and and go for it. So did you expect 14 other Republicans to to dive in the same deal? Um, I, I knew it'd be a large crowd if, if it was an open seat primary. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't expect there to be, you know, I didn't know Morgan Luttrell and Christian Collins was going to throw their name in. I mean, it wouldn't have mattered either way. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if they had announced first, I would have still gone in because there's too much on the line. Mm-hmm. Right. <clears throat> well, let's get back a little bit to what brought you here. Uh, your background, I mean, yeah. uh, after New Caney High School, Texas State U on a football scholarship. Yes, and this is one of those hard-hitting questions from Hank's think tank, and it may be a little uncomfortable. I want to know, 
What position did you play on the football team? I was, I was a defensive lineman. So, <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, that is badass. I got a lot of respect for that. I was a nose guard. Yeah, in my so, glory days. so I was. I was in in high school. I was. Uh, I played O line and D line. I played some. Uh, you know some other things but uh when i get to college i was just a little too small for outline right so i was pretty fast and uh you know it was it was a great experience they put me right in the middle over the center defense and i loved it seek and destroy yeah kill a man with a ball that old 50 defense right yeah that's what that was Uh yeah new caney ran that well we ran that until the ninth grade we ran that 50 and then they moved to that uh that four three we had we had Coach Coley, um, man. We had we had a good football team back in the nineties. People call me Al Bundy sometimes because every time we drive by Tully Stadium, I say, "Right there in 1976, I got two fumbles in one game." <laughs> I, oh, Dad! Don't don't worry. I did that the other day. I was in Montgomery and I, I looked over to my son and I said. Hey, that stadium right there, it's the old stadium. I said, I recovered a fumble in 1997. There you go. And yeah. we beat Montgomery 28 to 27. He's like, how do you remember that? I was like, oh, I remember. Uh, you were the difference in that game. Uh, we won the game. Cause mm-hmm. we, so we got the fumble. We uh, got the fumble back. And then Adam Dunn threw like a 50-yard touchdown, and we won the game. Wow. We're, it was a great game. So it sounds like people it. have to tell me stop talking about high school football. <laughs> but hey, when you're all Montgomery County for three years, you uh, you talk about it when you're running for running for congressional office in Montgomery County. We're gonna do a whole show on football. <clears throat> oh, I, I got some stories too. Oh, bring me back for that. <laughs> and uh, cum laude, Texas State U, even better than the football scholarship. I mean, what a way to exit. Right on. Uh, and then followed that up with Loyola University College of Law mm-hmm. with a Juris Doctorate. Doctorate. Well, okay. Mm-hmm. Doctor of Law. That's right. Yep. And that was just the beginning. And then uh, into the Navy as a JAG officer, 13 years. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Legal counsel for SEAL teams, Blue Angels, Special Ops. I can't imagine what you'd be defending the Blue Angels for unless maybe a noise ordinance or something. <laughs> well, so uh, it was almost like in-house counsel for the Blues. So every air show that they had, I had to review all – I had to do all the ethics stuff. So they would receive so many gifts. I had to review you know, all, oh, all the yeah. gifts they received. Anytime there was an investigation, a mishap, uh, a crash – I had I was the lead legal counsel for that investigation. There was wow. there was two types of investigations. There was the legal investigation, uh, the mishap investigation, and then there was the safety investigation. Right. I wasn't involved on the safety side. That was really the FAA right. to make sure, hey, what happened? Why did this plane go down? Why did this happen so it doesn't happen again? Mm-hmm. That's a privileged investigation. The legal investigation was the unprivileged, like for any kind of damaged property paying out claims those kind of things right so yeah we had a we had a pretty bad mishap with the blues uh in in tennessee that uh, i i was part of the investigation team and uh, that was that was pretty hard hitting so we lost captain coos uh i think i heard about that yeah so i was on the ground within (laughs) i was in corpus i was based in corpus and uh I was the first one that got the call from the PAO because the admiral was in a meeting, and he said, we just lost a plane. We just had one go down. And uh, they came. I ran down. The admiral was in a meeting with all the staff. I said, sir, we just lost a plane. Uh, 
he said, no, that was a Thunderbird because it was odd. The Thunderbirds, they were doing a, a training uh, and they had, had a plane go down that very same day. It was very strange. Oh, um, wow. So we got on the horn and he said, pack your bag, you're going to Tennessee. So within a few hours, I was on a C-12 with uh, some guys and we were in, we landed in Tennessee. I mean, it was, the field was still smoking. So we, right. I was going to ask about the damage on the ground. God, it was a blessing, honestly. It was in the middle of a town and it was a historic building. Um, it was a historic building and property from like the Civil War. And it was uh, in the middle of urban area in the plane. I, I, I would like to think Captain Coos did that on purpose, but he brought it down in this field and par partially a golf course. And he just he, he just started his maneuver too, uh, too fast and went too low. And he tried to eject, but didn't make it out. And right. It was a pretty horrific accident, mm. mishap. But thank God, I mean, obviously he didn't make it, but uh, nobody on the ground died. All right. And they, they learned, you know, they learned some things out of it on the safety side. And he had a baby at home. And I still think about, I, behind my desk, I have a picture of me and the team. And, I, and Captain Coos is in that in that picture and I, I think about him sometimes he was a good guy wow well the seal teams and special ops i don't know how much you can talk about but uh what kind of experience did you have that was great counseling I, them uh, that was great um a lot of good friends from the seal teams i i was on the i was an east coast based seal team lawyer um you know it's funny morgan latrell's in this race he was at one of the seal teams i used to talk to him about legal uh legal and policy matters mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, deployed to Special Operations Task Force. Really did operational and national security law with them. Um, when we put bombs on targets, I was in the kill chain, as we called it. So anytime uh, they called in a fire, I was pretty much the last guy in the, in the kill chain to put my approval on it. Put before the, go, the go signal, yeah. Yeah, before the commander made a decision. <clears throat> so that was definitely interesting. It's not something every JAG does has done in their career. Uh, to be part of that kill chain, you know, because it was a lot of ROEs, a lot of tactical directives. What's ROE? Uh, rule of engagement. Oh, yeah. So the tactical directives and those things, you can release a munition at s certain levels depending on what platform it comes off of. So I had to be a lawyer, but I also had to understand all the munitions. So I had a binder of what kind of platform it was, what kind of munition we were you know, What it was going to do yeah. to yeah, the target. Rough. Yeah, so it's called a CDE ring, right? Collateral <clears throat> Damage Estimate Ring. So if we were dropping a 500 pound bomb, we had to know, hey, that's gonna cause, that's gonna blow up this apartment complex or this hospital, which is a protected building yeah. mm -hmm. um, full of kids. Like we don't wanna do that. Um, so, you know, my job was to understand all that. And, and like the fires officer and the other guys knew, understood that too, but I was just adding that additional layer of critical thought yeah. to make sure that our tactical decisions um, were protecting our guys on the ground, but also didn't have strategic effects, which you know, if you if you make a mistake and and kill a lot of civilians, I'm not saying that it's it's horrible to kill civilians, but that has some pre pretty strategic effects that goes all the way to the White House. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. yeah. And it could jeopardize the whole mission. So, I mean, these decisions I was helping make, I had 20 seconds to make a decision, right? And to determine, hey, is that a good drop? Can we kill those guys? Well, you know, you can go on. I think even YouTube has them uh, where you can see. Uh, insurgent uh, uh, attacks and uh, usually night vision from Blackhawks and, and other attack craft and you can see those guys and they'll be all coming in the building but the, the 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 chatter back and forth between I guess the pilots and the people on the aircraft 
to somebody else. They they describe what they've got. We've got we've got two subjects. Uh, one of them's got a RPG, and they just got in this truck, and they pull up to this building. And nine guys got out, and what's around there, and you can see it on infrared. And it's it's fantastic to watch. And they'll say uh, permission to fire or something something like that. And they'll, you hear back on the radio, uh, stand by, and and there's a few second lag, and I'm guessing that's where you and your uh, chain comes in. And then you hear it go back and say, okay, uh, you can engage. That's and why it's just uh, obliteration, man. Yeah. Uh, and that's why you have to have the right JAG in those jobs. Yeah. Because, I mean, that there's JAGs that would be frozen. Or anybody would mm-hmm. be frozen. That's like, Afraid to make the wrong decision. What do I do? And you have to be on your game. And you have, you know, I always thought about the guys on the ground. I mean, those guys, the SEALs, have a lot of good friends from there. And I deferred to them. You know, I'm always going to make sure they're safe. I'm also going to remember, you know, I have a job as a lawyer to protect the command, protect mm-hmm. the United States. That's my client. And make sure that we're making good decisions. <clears throat> right. Um, but, yeah, we had some hairy moments where, you know, I had to make a split-second decision. And thank God, you know, I was right every time. We walked out of there. We didn't kill any civilians. We didn't blow up any buildings we weren't supposed to. And, I, I you know, the commander said, the best jag i've ever served with i really appreciate it that's looking that out, says a lot right there cool. so 13 years 13 years active duty um i'm still in the reserves so um really enjoyed the time i spent on active duty but again i i was concerned about the country i really came to the conclusion in the last unit i worked at was was a, a pretty high level unit i came to the conclusion my services could be used elsewhere because yeah. as a lawyer, as a JAG, you're just counseling. You're saying mm-hmm. you can do this, sir. You can't do that. That's legal. That's not. Right. Here's the policy. Here's would, the boundaries. Yeah, I would write. I would write legislative proposals. I was really doing a lot of high level stuff. I was interacting with members of Congress. I was interacting with their staffs, and it bothered me in some some ways that uh, some of the question the correct question questions were not being asked mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't know the questions to ask. You know, they didn't have the background right. experience, especially at the level I, I'd worked at. So I thought, you know what? I need to get into Congress because I know the right questions to ask. When I come down here and, and talk to these units and talk to these commanders, I know the right questions. And, and that was another motivating factor to, right. to run for Congress. Cool. I noticed uh, you have got an award or two. If it won't embarrass you too much, I kind of like to run through some of these. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's <laughs> fine. Uh, let's start off from the top. Bronze Star. Yeah, it's, it's not with Valor. It's just... Uh, for for service with the seal teams right they i I had no idea they were putting me in for that um i i helped them out and got them out of a few jams so they i was blessed to receive that even they signed off at on uh admiral olsen signed that from warcom congratulations wow and it continues with uh defense meritorious service medal navy meritorious service medal army achievement navy and marine corps commendations Iraq and Afghanistan campaign, Sea Service Deployment Ribbon times two, uh, Outstanding Volunteer Service, and uh, on and on and on. Those are the the highlights. I'd say good job, sir. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely appreciate your service to the country. So, you know, guys like you, without guys like you, we lost. I mean, it was after 9-11 – you know, I went. I was in law school after 9/11, and and I just saw the Navy recruiter come around, and I just wanted to put on the cloth of my nation. I wanted to serve my nation in time of war, and uh, they recruited me. They said, "Hey, you'd be great in the Navy JAG Corps." 
so I decided to, to apply. I mean, it was a very low selection rate. I think it was like 4% of applicants got in. So I, I got in, I went to my first duty station and, you know, went from there. I yeah. served with the uh, first duty station was in Jacksonville, Florida. And, uh, yeah, Lute- then Lieutenant Ron DeSantis was, uh, his, he was in the office right next to me. So oh, how cool is that? Yeah. It's pretty interesting to, to see that. And, uh, yeah, he's doing well too. So let me ask a question. Um, what do you think the biggest challenge that you would face as a congressman would be if elected? I think making an immediate impact. I think as a freshman congressman, you're kind of told, hey, come here, son. We'll tell you how it's worked. Oh, I'm how, sure there's how, a learning curve. Yeah, yeah. there's a learning curve, and, and you're not going to make an impact. You don't know what you're doing. You're going to have to get along to play along. And I get all that. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that. Uh, for somebody that's not experienced or qualified. I get that. That would make sense for somebody that doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, but for me, I think I can make more of an immediate impact with my clearance. Uh, my T- I have a TS still, SCI clearance. Okay. I could get on some of these committees that other people would not be able to get on. Um, I can I understand law and policy. I understand programs. I understand the things that your normal member that just gets elected would mm-hmm. not understand. So I think I can make immediate impact and I think convincing Leadership, convincing folks on committees that could make an immediate impact would be the biggest challenge. Um, that's from my perspective. So you have a good understanding of the legislative process, I guess? I, I do, yeah. yes. I understand yeah. how it goes through committee and all of that. I mean, I'm, I'm a lawyer, and I think that helps. Right. Um, but also just working with the committees in the past and responding to committees through letters and legislative proposals. Right. So it, it does frustrate me when I hear out, in the, out in, on the campaign trail, well, you've never been a state rep or you've never done this well i've worked with within the federal government for a long time dealing with congress right. and committees for a long time so in a lot of regards i'm more experienced with that than any state right. rep would be yeah from different perspectives within the whole yeah correct well i know that on your website you uh you mentioned under issues you know you have like five different categories of issues what do you think the biggest challenge is for our country today right now it's if the, you had to pick one of those issues what do you think the biggest one would be i'm sorry i mean to cut you off it's okay it's the border i mean if you do not have a border you do not have a sovereign nation period it's the border that's the number one issue to me right now because what look at what we see we have we've had over 100 uh, million illegal aliens is that right i don't know if that's the right number it's over a million or, or close to it um legal aliens coming over the border in the last 10 years and especially this year uh, i think it's been over a hundred thousand just pouring over our border and that's not the legal process so we have human trafficking sex trafficking smuggling drugs those same same lines of effort covid covid those same lines of effort used to smuggle humans across they're smuggling the drugs they're smuggling the guns it's the same criminal elements whatever whatever they're smuggling so you have to stop that border i don't know why the democrats want to open border I, it makes no sense to me it's future votes i don't know what it is but you have to secure the border period i don't see how the democrats would expect to gain future votes off of an open border i mean i, I just don't i mean maybe I with entitlement programs i i don't yeah. know i think every democrat and even a lot of republicans they're just short-sighted why are they short-sighted because they want to stay in power so do you think there's a problem with our legal immigration process that created 
the illegal immigration I, process problem? I think it's, it deserves. Do you think the entire thing needs to be overhauled? I guess. Well, let's look look at it. I mean, the, la, the Title Eight, which is the Naturalization and Immigration Code, was written in 1965. Mm-hmm. Uh, has it been reformed in any real manner since 1984? Right. I'd say that's long overdue. So it's long overdue, and, and we n- still have. If correct me if I'm wrong, one million legal immigrants per year on the average. Yeah, so we 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 bring in more legal immigration than so. any other country on the planet. Mm-hmm. So so yeah, it's definitely worth looking at. Mm-hmm. I would, you know, one of the things I'd like to do is review Title Eight and get some reform in there. Whether that means increasing immigration judges, whether that means decreasing certain um, visas or increasing certain visas, mm-hmm. one thing's for sure: we need to put all of our na- all of our resources we can into securing the border. Whether that means a wall, which I agree with, a virtual wall. Uh, additional officers on the border. We don't need to discipline officers for riding a horse at somebody and and having uh, them appear to look like they whipped them and that didn't actually happen. But you know, the I mer- missed that one. Yeah, and then now, <laughs> I wish I would have caught that. Now you have twenty percent of the the customs border and patrol officers that are going to quit because of this COVID shot. Mm-hmm. This is insanity. The exact wrong thing at the exact wrong time. Yeah, it's almost intentional. I mean, it's, it's hard to believe that. People could be that stupid. Well, they, we're talking about Democrats for the most part, so I, <laughs> uh, I'm going to offend some of your audience probably, but I'm sorry. Yeah, they're welcome to come on here and rebut. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, yeah they, so, and and speaking of Democrats, it, it brings me to one of my questions I was going to ask in a little bit, but I'll go ahead and ask it now. So, a lot of your your the rhetoric on your website kind of points to Democrats kind of being the one of the bigger problems with government today, and and the extension of some problems that that we are starting to see, like critical race theory mm-hmm. and things like that. My question is: is if you're elected, you know you're gonna you're gonna go to a Congress that has a large number of Democrats. How are you gonna be able to work with those guys? And like the problem that I have now, it seems like even when good legislation is brought forth to Congress, if it's brought forth by a Democrat. Republicans cross their arms and say, look, I'm not voting on it. It's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen because it was brought forth by a Democrat. It's it's congressional deadlock. And I, I'd like to see some fresh views and people wanting to get past that. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. No, I agree. And, and I know it's, it's, you know, because we're so divided, that's a real strong issue for a lot of people. So, and it's okay that if it is for you, but I'm just curious as a voter myself. Is how would you handle that reaching across the aisle? Well, I think the first thing is my background experience as um, in the in the military. I mean, we work work with people from all different countries, different partner forces, different cultures, different backgrounds. Uh, even within the military, I had to, I was a leader and an officer, so I would have petty officers under me that I had to manage and understand those different viewpoints and perspectives. So that's helpful. That's a starting point. Right. The second part, when I'm in Congress, there there is legislation. I hope there's legislation that the Democrats would agree with, like veterans. We have homeless veterans on the street today. We have a whole generation of veterans that have mental illness from fighting the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan and Vietnam still. So that's kind of legislation that I can propose with Democrat partners to get things done. And then I can pull them aside and say, look, are we really going to 
give individuals that were separated by the by the Trump administration four hundred fifty thousand dollars illegal aliens and not take care of our veterans and just use some some logic and common sense and build some deals. Right. Frankly, there's got to be things that we can agree on. I still believe that we, the Democrats, for the most part, um, they I would assume love the country and and they they believe in what they're doing. They're just a little misguided. So if I can pull them in on those core issues like taking care of veterans or I believe in infrastructure. This new infrastructure bill, I don't believe in that mm-hmm. because it's not infrastructure. It's yeah. $110 uh, million is, or, or trillion dollars is being spent on traditional infrastructure and a billion is being used on uh, everything else. Mm-hmm. So it's not traditional infrastructure. We can all agree on infrastructure. We can fix roads, we can fix highways, we can fix bridges, but not when you put all these socialist Green New Deal garbage in it like the government takeover of pre-K that's not infrastructure. They literally put that in an infrastructure bill. Well, they've got a name for that. It's called human infrufrastructure. Yeah, it's that's not infrastructure. I mean, human infrastructure means something else, but yeah, that's, that's not word salad is what that is. Yeah, that's not. They've taken the boundaries of infrastructure and, and put a new meaning on it. So it's going to be difficult to work with Democrats when they're just changing words and weaponizing words. But we can agree on certain things within the infrastructure yeah. bill. I think back to Hank's point is uh, you see a lot of things that they could probably compromise on, but they, the one side doesn't want to give the other one a win. You exactly. Know? And, and, it's, and it's both ways. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. Republicans and Democrats so, as well. Well, that's why you just have to use, you know. We have but, to, I, but I do like your answer, you know, finding the common ground right. and working from that common ground forward. That's probably – the way back that's the only way back are. that's the only way back i mean so. ev- everybody can agree that we need to help veterans yeah everybody democrats republicans everybody can agree so what do you think of the american families plan the american families plan especially the tax compliance agenda that's uh, part of that oh is that oh with the uh the banks mm-hmm. yeah so i i think that's uh, i don't trust the federal government to take over our banking system i think we answered that question with alexander hamilton a long time ago when he proposed a national bank right but getting into the uh forcing the banks to look into every uh transaction 600 dollars or more mm-hmm. i mean first of all let's look at it from a policy perspective regulatory perspective you're going to ask every bank in america to set up a new scheme to monitor to oversee all their customers' transactions over $600, then you're going to give right. the federal government a way into that? It just sounds like a, a patriot act. And to, super build the IRS. And super build the IRS. Yeah, well, that's what they're doing. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like to me that it's Patriot Act 2.0 in a lot of ways. I, I'm serious. I know that sounds... <laughs> it really does. No, I have, it I, is. I I have a background in national security. And um, look, anytime that there's transactions overseas within the Patriot Act, it's called a... Sus- suspicious activity report Mm -hmm. if you make a transaction over ten thousand dollars and or a series of transactions that equal ten thousand dollars overseas then that's a reportable reportable back to not the irs in that circumstance but a different agency um that's used to figure out what what are people doing with their money this seems like the same thing to me only the threshold is much lower right and i don't need the federal government you're under constant audit is what it is. Yeah, I don't need the federal government knowing how I spend my money, where I spend my money. Not that I am doing anything suspicious, mm-hmm. but that's none of their business. Exactly. <laughs> that's none know, of their business. We discussed gates earlier, and I believe that it's a gate 
to social credit, a social credit system like China has. Nailed it. You know, I mean, that's really what it is. Nailed it. Agree. So, yeah. Uh, everything, you know, social, the, everything we do on the Internet is monitored, uh, publicly available information. That's, right. They call it PAI. Right. That is all being copied, database, backed up. Right. I, I really don't like social media. I spent <laughs> many years avoiding it. Uh, I didn't even have yeah. a Twitter account until we started this. It was the first time I got on Twitter, and people were like, "Why are you so bad on Twitter?" I'm like, "I I just started Twitter. I have no idea." Twitter sucks. It took me a long time to figure Twitter out, and by the time I figured it out, didn't want to do it anymore. I know. I, I don't have that. a Twitter account. It looks yeah. like sewage to me. I started a Facebook account in 2004. <laughs> I was in law school, and these people were on this thing, and I was like, "What is that?" And they're like, "It's the Facebook. It's how we're all talking." And I'm like, "Okay, I'll start a, the Facebook." And I still, as a joke, to some of my friends, I call it the Facebook. But uh, the Facebook. yeah, that's what it was called. That's what it was. Start out with. But I didn't. Really? I oh, yeah. barely did Facebook for ever, and then I ran for office. And I'm, I was going to delete it. And my friends like, "What are you doing? All your friends?" And I'm like, "Well, I, I haven't really done it." But I, I ended up keeping my Facebook, and uh, you know, started my campaign Facebook from there. Yeah, and social media is going to be big for you running for office like this. It is. Unfortunately. It is. I mean, yeah. I think a lot of people pay attention to it. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of people that don't. So it's yeah. okay. I've found a lot of my supporters <coughs> that are more on the on the very conservative side. Mm -hmm. They've given up on all that. They use alternative media, Gab, and things like this. I, right. Uh, I'm not... I'm barely hanging on understanding how to use Twitter. So they asked me, like, can you get on Gab and all these other ones? I'm like, oh, I'll try. But, uh, you know, I don't really understand the social media like I should. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, you've got 14 other conservative opponents. Well, I wouldn't that's, use the word conservative. That's a bunch. I would call them Republicans. Well, I would call them opponents. Okay. Republican <laughs> opponents. <laughs> what separates you from that group? If, and what would what would you say would be the one thing that separates you from that group? Experience. Okay. Experience yeah. and qualifications. Yeah. I mean, if you could roll it into one, I mean, I'm I'm the most qualified by far. There's there's look, and this is I'm not meaning to disparage anybody, but if you just look at the facts, look at the experience, look at what we've done, mm -hmm. uh, it's a no brainer. Uh, there's there's folks in the race that have many different experiences it doesn't i'm not trying to take away from that but this is a serious time and we need to send serious people with ideas i'm not going to go to washington dc and wait for somebody to tell me what to do i'm not going to you know get a three hundred thousand uh, dollar uh donation from one person and then you know wait for him to tell me what to do or wait for him to tell somebody else to tell me what to do uh, i'm not going to have special interest telling me what to do. I'm going to be my own man. I'm going to go up there. And of course, I'm going to be a teammate and I'm going to be mm -hmm. a good team player, but I'm not going to be owned by anybody. I'm going to be owned by the constituents of this district. And that's how it should be. Right. That's how the founders envisioned it. That you were, that's why it's a two year cycle. If mm -hmm. you're not being responsive or accountable to the constituents, they vote you out. Right. It was, uh, it was founded to be a citizen legislature. Yes. You know? You leave your farm and you go and you, you make some rules or you do this and compromise and then you go back to work. But there are uh, too many people in there that are making 50-year uh, careers out of this. Yeah, no, right. I, I agree. And I think that's what sets me apart. Um, not that I, I think there's candidates that are doing it for the right reasons, but I'm sure there's candidates that aren't. And I, yeah. I just want to make a difference. I want to do my part. I want to serve my nation. And 
I, I believe I was called to do this. Mm-hmm. It just struck me like a lightning bolt that I was, I felt it in my body to, to go run for Congress and make a difference. And I'm just going to go with it. Well, uh, you okay. got a hell of a resume and you've been making a difference most of you, all your life that I can tell. Right. Oh, thank you. And the election is actually in March of 22. Is that right? Yes, sir. It's coming up quick. We're right coming around the fast. corner. Yeah. Yeah. So well, we're doing well, the best just we between can. us girls. Um, you know, Studio One Three has to vet everybody that comes on the show. Okay. And so I've had a lot of discussions with a lot of our county leaders and and people in government. Not a single negative comment was made about you. And as a matter of fact, um, a lot of people said that you're an outstanding attorney and that you have a lot of integrity. So well, I, I wish I, you all the luck in the world. I, I appreciate them saying that. Yeah, thank you. So if somebody wants to donate to your campaign, where would they go? Who do they need to get with? So the best thing they can do is go to my website, Houlihan for Texas, and that's H-U-L-L-I-H-A-N for Texas, F-O-R, Texas.com. And they can read my platform. They can follow me on social media, on Facebook. Uh, of course, we take personal checks. Uh, if you go on my Facebook, if you go on my website, it's, it is a WinRed donation. Some people don't like that. Uh, but we have a. Uh, if you go on there, we have a donation form that can download and mail a check to our office, okay. uh, which is on the website. And you know, be very, very grateful. I mean, we're coming to a point where, you know, other folks in this race have raised more money than me, or will raise more money than me, um, and that's fine. Almost all my money has come from the grassroots. It's come from individual donations. So I have to buy signs. I have to get some digital media out, some oh, commercials. Yeah. Do you have any events coming up? Yeah, we have a couple events coming up. Uh, we try. We didn't plan anything during uh, November. We're going to have something in the Woodlands on December first. My my friend Guy Reschenthaler, he's a member of Congress. He's going to come down and and do a fundraiser for me. So we have that coming up. We're tr- still trying to get that on the schedule mm-hmm. before the end of the quarter. Uh, so we're just going to keep pushing events. If you want to find out about my events, you can sign up on my face on my website for the newsletter. Um, you can follow me on Facebook, and we'll push that material out. Okay. Good luck to you, man. And I, and I assume it. there's an email there. So if any of our viewers have any questions they'd like to ask you. Yes. So, so the best one to use is info at houlihanfortexas.com. Okay. Um, and they can start there and they'll they'll feed it to me on, on certain questions. Uh, I have, you know, being in the reserves, being in uh, at a law firm full time still and doing the campaign. Like sometimes I have to have some, some of my helpers and staff kind of get through some of those first and, and let me get to the meat of the questions. Right. But I'm more than willing to answer all questions sit down with anybody uh, and um, address any concerns or really let them know about me because i think we're in an interesting time uh where we've we have these celebrity candidates and we have these other folks that are just piling on with the money and they're going to just saturate the information environment i feel like my chance to win this is going to be just making personal connections with people and having them go to my website and tell their friends so if you like what you hear you know, tell 10 of your friends, tell 15 of your friends, tell 20 of your friends, send them my website. That's what it's going to take. It takes right. a network to defeat a network. Yeah. Groundswell. And groundswell. And I would appreciate any help anybody can give me. And get out there and vote. Yeah, get out there and vote. That's the big deal. Yeah, vote. So, I mean, it's the foundation of our constitutional republic. Right. And right. if people don't vote and they still complain, well, they need to check themselves. And so check, make sure that people are registered to vote. Mm-hmm. Uh, go go to the web the county website. Make sure your everything is correct. That you can vote in this primary. It's very important. Yep, sounds good. Got any additional questions there? No, we covered the football, and we may have to get back on that for a separate show. Sounds good. Because I, I almost scored a touchdown one time. 
Really? Uh, yeah. And uh, there's a reason I didn't, and I'd like to get into that. It's going to take a lot longer than we've got right here. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I avoided sports. I don't know why, but I did. Just completely. I noticed that in high school. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. All right, guys. We well, heard it here first. Uh, Jonathan Houlihan, and I think he's a, a very strong candidate for this position. I want you to go to his website, check it out, and uh, get educated. Because the main thing... At, at, at least in Montgomery County that I know of for sure, is we need educated voters. Don't want people going out there just voting for a name. You want to vote for a man, you want to vote for an idea, and you want to vote for somebody who is in line with what you believe in. So uh, upcoming, we've got Howlin' Howie coming in. Howlin' Howie. Is he going to howl right here? I hope, man. I hope so. Nope. And, and he's like a great that. musician. He's going to be in here tomorrow, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing him playing some guitar, uh, maybe we can get Mark drunk again. I don't know. We'll figure it out. We'll hope so. Um, <laughs> so we look forward to that. Uh, we've got kind of a, a good schedule coming up. And we're going to take a brief hiatus, I think, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. We're only going to run a few a few videos in there just because the holiday season is busy. He's taking a hiatus. I'm going to sneak in here. We're going to play all these guitars. Well, there you go. Mark's going to have to learn to play left-handed. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. So anyway, uh, for Mark Hogan, I'm Hank Vatt. This is Hank's Think Tank, and we're out.